Film Fanatics. From the silver screen to your earphones. With Alan Azulay and Gal Balaban. Welcome back to Film Fanatics, where we talk about the movies that have us obsessed, excited, and inspired. I'm Alan. And I'm Gal. So today is Stop Motion Animation Day here at Film Fanatics, and we thought we'd bring on a very special guest uh, to talk a bit about, first a bit about himself, and then some stop motion movies with us. Today, our guest is the director of the sci-fi thriller short film, 12 Kilometers. He also hosts the podcast In Love With The Process, in which, in his own words, he sits down with working artists and filmmakers who are willing to share some of the most intimate stories and demystify the path to success. Please welcome to the Film Fanatics, Mike Petchy. How are you doing today? Oh, what a great intro. I'm good, man. <laughs> yeah, Gao is really good at that. That's why I always let him intro our guests, because he has a knack for it. <laughs> it's great, man. It's great to meet you both. How are you? We're good. Um, tell us a bit about you. Obviously, um, you have this big short film that uh, we've watched by now. Uh, tell us a bit about what you do for the viewers. Uh, so I've been a director now for, jeez, uh, man, over 20 years. So um, I started as a commercial and music video director. Um, and then I've been a horror film director for years. And um, I also, like you said, uh, run a podcast in the interim because most of being a director is about waiting around, um, and prepping. Uh, so yeah, keep myself busy with both those. I've done a movie, as you mentioned, I did a movie called 12 kilometers, which has been very popular. Um, and it was a proof of concept short film that is being developed into a feature film as we speak. So, wow. Is there anything more you can tell us about that? Um, well, I mean, I can tell you what I've told the, the listeners of the show, of my show. Um, the piece, like I said, we did a proof of concept piece for it. We ended up taking it around Hollywood and pitching it to a bunch of different places. And right now it is with Scott Free, which is Ridley Scott's company. Nice. So the Congratulations. That's fantastic. Man. Yeah, man. They're the ones that are developing, but the developing process is a very long process. Um, and, you know, technically, even though I've been directing for 20 years and I've done all sorts of large productions, um, I am technically a first time feature film director, which just means that everything works a little bit slower. And sometimes I have to do smaller projects before I do larger projects. It's just sort of proving your track record. Um, so it's been good. I mean, we have an amazing script for the feature version of 12 cam that's ready to go. Um, and then I also did another short called who's there. And that one is also in development with a few big places and uh, we'll see which one goes first. Nice, man. Uh, I will say, um, uh, I watched, uh, 12 K and, um, uh, do, do you refer to this 12 K or 12 kilometers? 12 kilometers or 12, 12 we, it's been abbreviated 12 km these days but yeah it's 12 kilometers yeah. is what it's called okay so uh i watched 12 kilometers and i have to say man it's it's fantastic i'm not just saying this because oh you're on the show or whatever i'm telling you i really 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 liked it like congratulations man it's a great it's a great short film what 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 did you what was your favorite part about it what did you what do you really like about it is it the acting is it the so Gao knows how much I'm a cinematography fan. 
and I love the the, the cinematography here. Like it, uh, like it usually is what makes or breaks a film for me is cinematography, which I know it's not the same for a lot of people, but like that's usually what does it for me. And man, I love the cinematography. Man, I I love the camera work. I love the, um, just the like the vibe it gave. I love like um, the eeriness of it. I I don't know how to explain it, even like it was uh it was that good. Like uh, yeah, and I and I and I really like the like the concept, you know, like um, like the horror aspects of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, uh, and yeah, I really love that it was like this is an idea that's been explored a lot. But when it's done well, it can be really interesting how sort of mankind uh, contributes to the monsters or it's like the arrogance of like mankind depletion of the resources and whatnot. And I really love the practical effects and the lighting that was incorporated. Now, a lot of directors like to sometimes talk about their influences. And there's one that I might have drawn. Maybe I'm wrong. But the final scene really reminded me of Under the Skin. Was that possibly an influence? So we did it before Under the Skin. <laughs> ah, nice. Got you, got you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the um, it's funny the, when you're an independent filmmaker, one of the things that you have to try to do is use the resources that are available to you. And uh, one of the reasons why we did most of the effects practically, so we ended up, uh, I had to find a oily substance that could be puppeteered um, because I did want to do uh, sorry about the construction outside. I didn't want to do uh, CGI because CGI, if you don't have money, bad CGI looks like bad CGI, no matter what. And coming from my roots as a cinematographer, I know that there's so many really great happy mistakes that can be found when you are shooting things through glass. Um, and so we found this fluid that we could puppeteer with magnets and that looking through the magnifying glass, I was able to find really, really cool uh, happy accidents, which made that creature what it was. Um, so with the end of the movie, one of the restrictions that I had was I, I wasn't gonna be able to create this huge sort of CGI space. Um, and I think if I was to do it modern days, I'd probably use one of those volume screen rooms like they do for the Mandalorian, but that wasn't available when yeah. I was doing it. So we just kept it very simplistic and I had like a blacked out studio space and I brought in black sand and just did a lot of it with sound design. So originally that idea came out of necessity because I didn't have the money to make something much larger than that. So what really wasn't influenced by anybody. It was like, okay, and, and honestly, I had years ago, I did a music video for a band called Meshuggah and I did the Meshuggah Bleed music video. And we used a lot of those same techniques in that video that I then sort of polished and refined for the new, for 12 Cam. Awesome. I, I will say like you, you were talking about like happy accidents um, when you were working with like practical effects and limited budgets and all that. I feel like that's something we all learn when we're learning about about film and i gotta say i'm so glad that you didn't have the money for that volume or that it didn't <laughs> exist because it came out so good and i think it came out way better than it would have with with the volume if i'm being honest like we've seen a lot of a lot of the volume being used lately and uh even though that sometimes it can look fantastic um it's a new technology people are still figuring it out and like i don't in my in my 
opinion nothing replaces like practical stuff i feel like that like that's what really draws me to to film even though i'm I, like you know like i'm a star wars nerd and like a like a marvel dc guy all that i still like i my favorite thing about movies when like when when you can really see that it's there you know like you know when it's cgi yeah. you know when it's like yeah. in the volume or green screen you know so like yeah. um i'm i'm very happy that you didn't have the money <laughs> probably happier than you were at the time <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah well i mean it's it's very relevant because i just that's why i'm kind of like all over the place this week and exhausted i just finished shooting uh yesterday i i just finished shooting a new piece so i did a new short um that we like literally we were talking off air that i had car trouble and that's why i was late this morning i was literally taking bags of fake snow that i have left over to the dump when my car went to, to shit so like i have a car loaded with fake snow particles we just created this snow blizzard wonderland here in california over the weekend and it's all practical so i i love practical stuff because I can find things accidentally. Because the process is just a wonder. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And then it's, there's something nice about living in it. Like when you have everything lit well, you can walk through that set and just sort of feel that. So what you guys felt on 12 cam when you watched it, I'm lucky enough to be the guy that got to walk around in that set. Got to live it. And and live in it. Yeah. Which is fun. Which is kind of why I like to do these. I like to build worlds like as a nerd myself that I get to live in for a little while and eat my lunch. And like, imagine being able to go eat your lunch on the set of like close encounters. (laughs) That's really fun to me. That was just it. But tell me please, which camera did you use? All right. So let me, let me tease you a bit here and say that at the end of the day, it doesn't really make a difference. I think, I know, I know, I know it doesn't, (laughs) but like, I'm, I'm just a bit of a nerd. So I think what's more important than the actual camera body is the glass oh for so, sure oh for sure so it's really the glass and i should point out now since we're talking about cinematography i worked with my close friend amazing cinematographer david cruda who shot that he also shot who's there um i wish i had him last weekend because i ended up directing and shooting the new one um so we shot that uh, the movie is about russians in 1980s so we shot this with old russian lomo anamorphic lenses so these are like wow amazing these are the old school lens cores using um so we had those lenses and we strapped those onto a alexa mini so it's an alexa mini with the lomos okay and then a lot of the look that you're getting like those sweet flares and all that really beautiful sort of distortion on those close-ups that's from the glass and then I like uh, Alexa's because I like their color profile. Their color profile um, just softens and makes the image feel a little bit more filmic than red. But I'm not saying that red's... I've seen amazing stuff, like all of Fincher's stuff that he's been doing for television. Zack Snyder, I think, is doing red stuff. Um, It's really beautiful. I think the difference between those two cameras is the red just feels more technical. And the Alexa feels more like an art brush um, but you could do great things with they're just tools you can you can manipulate them however you no. need to manipulate yeah like uh like you said i also prefer the look i think you're 100 uh right in that one like uh 
maybe I should get better at recognizing it, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, I also well, prefer dude, like the dude, color if profile. If you're recognizing it, that means you're not watching the movie. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, fair uh, enough. Yeah. And, and look, at the end of the day, like to get real nerdy about all that stuff, for me, I try to pick tools that I think work for the story and the narrative. So I, I know that there's a lot of people that'll shoot anamorphic because they're like, oh, the flares, who cares about the flares? Anamorphic for me is you actually have a wider stage to, to have a play on. And yeah. so like I can do close-ups with three people in one frame. So you just have to pick the tools adequately um, for what it is that you want. And then you'd be surprised at how much of that look is also affected by using a hazer on set. It's also affected by the angle of light and how you're using the light. Um, I've seen people shoot with the same exact package that I shoot with, and their stuff looks radically different because they're not using all of the the practical effects in front of the lens, you know? No, 100%. Um... Yeah, like uh, I feel like just the way that you that uh, that you and your cinematographer used uh, used it, no, like you said, no matter really what the gear is, uh, it's more the way you use it. And uh, I was really impressed by the way you guys used it, and I thought I sh I would shout that out. And uh, and uh, yeah, that final scene was crazy, man. So good. Yeah, without giving anything away. And by the way, those of you listening to the show, the only way you can see this movie because it's not up on the internet is uh, you have to write to me on Instagram and tell me your three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, I'll send you a link to see the movie. That's the only, <laughs> way, that's the only way you can see it. Um, but uh, yeah, in the end of the movie, when he's sort of being taken over by the substance, I don't want to give too much away. Um, there's this really cool sort of slow motion shot that happens. And we were using this material called super slime, I think is what it's called. And it was so fascinating. It's like a very sticky sort of slimy substance. And as our actor was thrashing about in slow motion, the light that we were using to light him was such a warm light that this slime would solidify in the air and it would be feather light. And so the actual slime was floating around him as he did it. So none of that CGI, all of that stuff is practical. Yeah, he he looked incredible in that scene. Like, uh, like uh, I don't know how much it cost, but it looked like it cost like as much as any big. Like, yeah, well, it depends on who it, who's asking. If the big boys are asking, that cost me a you know a few million dollars. <laughs> but if, you, if the independent filmmakers are asking, you'd be surprised at how, what you could do for how much yeah. money. Um, speaking of, you talked about favorite movies a minute ago. Um, what are some movies that you really like that came out this year? You know what I'm loving right now, um, and it's I they're it's not they're not really feature films, but they should be. I love Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities right now. Okay, okay I'm halfway through that right now. I haven't started. Pitch pitch it to me, please. <laughs> It's like Black Mirror, but horror. Yeah, so basically Guillermo's sort of doing a, it's like a throwback to like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, where Alfred Hitchcock used to have a television show and they would do, I don't know if they were hour-long episodes, but they would do episodes sort of around like a scary story and they would have, I think they would have different directors come in and do it. So Guillermo is very supportive of, of uh, horror directors. I would love to do one of these episodes, FYI, but <laughs> very supportive. That's and uh, yeah, 
And uh, yes, please. And uh, so he's done this thing called Cabinet of Curiosities, which is sort of based upon these old cabinets that used to be used to sort of hide away secrets. And so each drawer in this cabinet is a different story. There's like a different prop that they pull out and sort of leads to the story. Well, and so it's, it's, it's like an episodic one hour per episode. Uh, I think there's like seven or eight. Eight. I think there's eight. I'm, I've seen four so far. Yeah, dude. Let me just say, he brought in some amazing directors. So he's got, uh, I think it's Guillermo Nervaro, who was his. He directed the first one. That one's amazing. The third one, which is the autopsy, that one is That's like. Abraham. So good. So fucking good. The techniques in that are amazing. The language of cinema in that is amazing. That one is so good. And then I skipped ahead and I watched. Um, Panos Cosmatos's new one, the guy who directed Mandy, and he also directed oh. Beyond the Black Rainbow, and his is just crazy. Okay, so, I'm excited. Should I download yeah. it for the plane? I think you'd enjoy it, and they're episodic. You don't have to watch them in order. Yeah, yeah, it's so so good. So that's really what I've been watching lately. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I feel like there was another. Oh my God! What else came out this year? I saw Black Adam the other day. Whatever. <laughs> uh, 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 any horror movies I, you enjoy? Um, holy shit! My brain is so fried because I was on set for like forty-eight hours. Yeah. Um, what were the big horror flicks that came out this year? Might have been Nope, Man. Uh Barbarian. Okay. Um, interesting information. So I saw both Nope and Barbarian. I see one of the coolest things about being out here in California is that uh, oftentimes you can get to advanced screenings and mm -hmm. test screenings. And then luckily because of my podcast, I've got some friends. So I'm able to go see things early, early. So I went and I saw like an early version of Barbarian probably like four or five months ago. And we did a screening with the director and there was sort of test screening footage and edits. And that was kind of fun to go through that. I generally enjoyed that movie. I thought that uh, the vibe was really great. The first half of that movie is really great. Um, I sort of roll my eyes and sort of crowbarred social messaging that seems to be happening in everything these days in order to get it made. And so there's a couple moments in that that I rolled my eyes. But generally, I thought it was great. Um, and, um, oh, what was the Viking movie with... Um, oh, the North uh, oh, The Northman. Yeah, that was good. I love the North. It was great. From Robert Eagers, yeah. I love the so cinematography. Mm -hmm. And just like, to me, that's like the coolest Viking movie ever. Like it was really well done. Like the sort of fever dream, sort of trippiness of it was so great. Um, yeah. And I once, once again, I saw an advance to that probably five or six months ago. And I think they changed the edit a little too much. The version that I saw was like, Oh, like was like gut wrenchingly cool, um, and they sort of softened it a bit, which I think was an, an injustice to the final release of that movie. And I hope they release a director's cut for it because the version that I had seen was just a bit more gut wrenching. Um, but I think those were the big hits for me this year. I feel like there's another one that's just escaping me, but yeah, if I think of it, I'll tell you. Well, leading into your podcast, as a fellow podcasters, I'd like to know um, what are 
some takeaways that you had when you went about building your audience? So I started the podcast initially because, um, and this is something I say on the show, there really isn't an honest resource for people that want to get into our business, an honest resource. And I, I remember when I was younger, I looked up to legends like David Fincher. I looked up to Mark Romanek. I looked up to, to Ridley Scott. And there, you know, you could go to film school and spend a lot of money and go to film school. And some film schools back in the day, you know, you would go and you would take the same class and you could end up being a boom operator. And one of your classmates could be the one that's doing the student directing for that. And it's the same tuition. And I was like, that's really not fair. Um, and so when I was younger, I would just hunt because this is prior to YouTube. So I would just hunt through like director's commentaries on laser discs. I would just look really hard to find a glimpse of what it was really like and what my path should be if I wanted to make these things. And everything that I saw was sort of propaganda, you know, like whenever you see one of those behind the scenes clips that come out for a movie, they're all the same. It's like they show the sets and the actors are like, it was so great working with the director. He's a genius. And then they cut to the director and the director ponders a little bit and poses and talks about <laughs> stuff. stuff. <laughs> but they don't really show how they did it. Anything. And so, um, I, one of the things that I learned as a young filmmaker is that it takes eight years and they, I think they say 10,000 hours. It takes about eight years before anybody cares about you, before anybody asks you to do anything, before you get recognized for anything. And those eight years are really tough because if you're young, you're like, I want to make a movie. I want to do this now. I want this to happen. I know everything. I know what's going on. And it takes you a little while to realize that you don't and that it's okay to spend that time learning and figuring things out and then also living your life. Because if you're going to be telling stories about life, you have to experience life. You have to experience death and love yeah. and all these different things. And so it's not that bad if you're not really getting any sort of interest until your early 30s, because you've got that early time to learn the language, to learn the technicals, to learn all that stuff. And so once I crossed into doing music videos, we started to do music videos for pretty large heavy metal bands and hip hop bands. And so you get a big audience reaction right away. Like I'll make a video, put it online, and then immediately the audience will respond. And so I started to have a lot of people write to me, a lot of young filmmakers write to me and say, I don't know if I'm ready for this business. I don't know if I'm doing it right. And I'd say, well, how long are you doing it for? And they're like, well, this is my first year. And I'm like, okay. You all have the wrong opinion on how this thing works. I'm going to do a podcast that tells the truth about it. And I'll tell you guys what I'm going through and everything that I wished when I was younger. Like, I wish Rob Zombie had a podcast that he went on there and said, guys, this is how hard it is to make stuff. Because then you feel okay, like doing it and having it take so long. You go, this is the job. This is what Because you needed everything. someone to ground it for you. And you're not beating yourself up. The years and years that I spent beating myself up over it just wasted emotional time. And so when I started the show, that's what the show initially started as. And then it became a very selfish thing for me where I wanted to get people on the show that I want to work with and that I like and that I respect. And then it became even more than that, where I didn't want it just to be a filmmaking show. So suddenly it was like everything that I love, like I love cooking, I love barbecuing. 
I get to meet rock stars. I get to do all this stuff in my job. So I started to make the show about all that. And the byproduct of it is that I meet really great people like you guys. And we get to talk about what yeah. we love about the business. And when I just shot this movie last weekend, I used all this stuff that I learned from talking with Academy Award winning cinematographers, production designers. There were, there were probably a hundred moments on set where I sat there and I went, right, right. I remember that the, my guest told me about this. I should really think about that. And so I'm learning at the same time that the audience is learning. So it becomes really fun, you know, you know? amazing. That's kind of like the perfect uh, podcast for us as well. Cause like, uh, we've been doing the podcast thing for like about two years, but yeah. we're in like, but we're in the beginning of like the, like the, like we are, both of us have the dream of like, you know, just telling stories and, uh, you know, doing movies like right, uh, like uh, mm -hmm. all uh, all all kids like like us, you know, and uh, so I feel like it it, it really is the perfect uh, the perfect podcast for us because like you're right, there's like there's this really like mystified sort of like uh, dreamlike image that uh, that filmmakers get like but you, filmmakers they're just like us, but like yeah. but, but like. You just see, like, you know, like, the really big ones, like, and you don't see the struggles they went through to get there. Like, they rarely talk about it. And uh, it's, you're right, it's really important because we, like, uh, we also meet a lot of people that, like, you know, are going through the same thing. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. I just wanted to. So if our, <laughs> if our listeners uh, need to go if our listeners want to go now and listen to In Love With The Process, what's one episode that they should go to or something you really enjoyed recording or an episode that really resonated with you? Well, there's so many. It depends on what your interest is. What I've done to keep it really simple, like you can listen to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I think we're at like 200 and something episodes. And that can be daunting. Like if you go there and you're like, okay, there are all these episodes and I don't recognize these names uh, because I'll have like, horror film directors and like chefs i've separated it all on the in love with the process website so if you're someone that wants to go and listen to director episodes they're all there chef episodes etc etc so if there's an episode that i really loved i did one recently which was so successful that it became two episodes um and it was with uh photographer david james and he is one of the oldest working um still photographers from set so he's done like set stills for every major spielberg movie he did set stills for all of the mission impossible movies he did like he started on like um way back in the day on hitchcock stuff he was such an inspirational person to listen to and to hear his entire career path and all of the advice that he had it's a great episode so it's it's more recent. I think it's like two fifteen or something. But uh, David James, those episodes are really great. Um, and I just finished interviewing, which comes out on the twenty second. The cinematographer for Mank. Um, oh, 
Oh, Eric Messerschmidt. Eric Messerschmidt is on the show. Oh, he's fantastic. Won an Oscar for that movie. Dude, his story about how Fincher asked him to be his cinematographer, because he was a gaffer before this. Yeah. So he was a gaffer on all his stuff. He tells us the story on the show. And then we also talk uh, slightly about his new movies, because he just shot the new Michael Mann movie on Ferrari. He just shot. And he's working with Fincher again on The Killer. Yeah, dude. So that one comes out on the 22nd and that's him and I got along really well. And he really breaks through all the facade and tells the real story of what it's like to be a cinematographer for those guys. Amazing. So thank you so much for sharing uh, a little bit about your career. Mike, it's it's been very interesting to hear. Now we're moving into our stop motion madness special. We decided we're each going to, count down our top five stop motion animated movies of all time uh so we're gonna go each of us um i think we could do five through three and then each one of us goes second and then each one of us goes first how does that sound so all right so you let me know we'll go around you guys tell me when you want me to say what perfect <laughs> okay so <laughs> you can start uh tell us your number five through three favorite stop motion animated movies I have a feeling we're okay. going to have similar ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might. I'm, I'm going to throw you some loops, too, here. Because I'm okay. going to stretch the rules of what I think stop-motion animated movies are. Oh. So, <laughs> so I think it. I know what movie might be on here that I omitted. Okay, let's hear it. Let's. All right. So I would say number five for me would be the place that I saw stop animation and it really affected me and i thought it was the coolest stop animation as a kid is the original king kong oh it's a good choice animation that was done was so epic it's so fascinating to me um it was uh willis o'brien right who did the animation on that and what I like about it, it's funny because I was doing a, I was writing an idea that was going to have a large monster in it. And I was pitching the idea of potentially doing a large monster stop animation because there's something really cool about the movement and the, the starter movement of the creatures. And specifically with Kong, um, the animator really made that character come to life. And the it it has influenced every sort of CGI remake since then. They're all trying to do the same sort of like frumple and movements and everything. So I would say the original Kong is probably number five for me. Yeah, I don't think I've ever gotten to the nineteen thirty-three one. I hear I mean it's obviously one of the most influential movies ever made. Oh my god, dude. What are you what are you talking why how, what do you mean you haven't got to it? <laughs> um, it's not, not like you have to wait for it to come around in cinemas. I always watched the 2005 one and thought, okay, I watched the more like updated one, so I just never oh. saw it. No, all right, look, I'm gonna say this right now. I think <laughs> I think a lot of people are are allergic to going back and watching older cinema, but really, even though it's a different time period, even though people may speak differently. That's really the origins of the language of movie making. And you're seeing it in its rawest form. So definitely go watch the original. Yeah, I've been trying to definitely go after more uh, older movies uh, more often. Like I recently watched Sunset Boulevard for the first time. So I've been trying to do that more often. Yeah. Yeah. What's number four for you? So number four, let's stick with the same sort of motif. motif. And I'm going to break the rules again. 
for the same reasons, I'm going to say that Jurassic Park is my number four. Because, because all of the work that Phil Tippett did on that movie, originally all the dinosaurs were supposed to be stop animation. And when they created the computer effects work, they still needed Tippett to come in and animate it. So they actually built a little uh, a little doll that he can animate all the CGI stuff. So all the CGI moves and everything were done by a stop motion animator. So that's why the dinosaur movements are so cool in that because it's the same sort of stop animation for it. And so it's what we were talking about, about uh, practical effects. And uh, I think stop motion is a... It's a great example of that, of how uh, how you can like cheat. Uh, I know that CGI wasn't that big back then, but like how you can, uh, you know, cheat in a way that like it's way like cheaper, but also it looks honestly better than a lot of stuff. Like for 94, yeah. was that when it came out? 93. 93. And he did Schindler in the same year. So, Spielberg. So, yeah. That's crazy, dude. Crazy. <laughs> what a year that's insane <laughs> phil tippett who did the animation he just released i haven't seen it yet but uh the god movie on unholy god or something which is all animated that he did i'm pretty excited about that one i haven't seen that one yet but same guy same guy yeah. did that stuff. and then uh number three for you uh number three would be more traditional wow I don't know. Maybe maybe now because it was puppeteering. I was going to say Team America, but that's all puppeteering. I don't think there is any. Did it? Did they film it in stop motion though? Because I haven't watched it, but I'm pretty sure they might have. There might be some, but I think I'm. I think I'm screwing up the rules too much on this because I think it's mostly puppeteering for that. I don't think it was stop motion. I'm I'm fact checking this now because now I'm curious too. Yeah. Um, it's. It says it's a puppet comedy, so I don't know if they just filmed it continuously. Or... Yeah, no, I think I, I think that was all puppet. I think that was like marionettes. It says so... there was a little bit of stop motion, but it's like typically puppets. Yeah. Okay. So so then, so then uh, then no on that. Um, <laughs> oh man, I totally fucked up that list then. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. It's say... all good. You're We're... giving our viewers like a completely different uh, side for this episode. Well, dude, I, I will replace that with Wallace and Gromit. So any of the okay. Wallace and Gromit movies um, are just pure, uh, like pure heartwarming goodness. Like it, when you watch those films, you you just feel like, hey, I'm going to go out and buy some molding clay. And I'm gonna create some big eyes and some weird chickens, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a really great story with it. I, those those movies, all of their movies are phenomenal. I'm gonna refrain from talking about me that too, right now. Me too. Okay, so I'll continue. <laughs> it's definitely not in my list, right? I'll continue with five through three because this is gonna get interesting. Number five for me, I don't know if it'll be on any of our lists because one of them was like less traditional. Okay, I'll go with it. Number five is Fantastic Mr. Fox for my top five stop motion movies. It's uh, one of two animated movies that Wes Anderson has done. And it has an all-star cast with uh, George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Bill Murray. Most of his frequent collaborators are in it. 
and it's not one of my favorite movies of his, but it's still an enjoyable movie and has all his style. He hasn't missed for me. He's one of my favorite directors. I love him. Wes yeah. Anderson. And then number four is Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit for me. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I. Yeah. it's been a while since I've seen it all the way through. But, again, all those movies were – they had this really pure sense of fun to them, this British humor. Uh, Peter Salas is the voice of Wallace. Uh, it's short and it's simple. And Helena Bonham Carter – uh, played like his love interest in the movie and also they had like this scene of of him transforming into the rabbit which is either really terrifying or really cool depending on what age you are so that's a really entertaining one it also uh, might be the only one that won the oscar for animated feature of these and it was done by Ardman, which also did uh Shaun the sheep the Pirates, uh, Chicken Run, and then a movie I almost had on my list until I realized it wasn't stop motion. Is Flushed Away, which they worked on, which is a computer animated movie that I loved growing up, but they animated it to look like clay. Number three is going to be Coraline, which is a movie that is also from Henry Selick. I think it's a, it's a really great movie for all ages because it has enough creepiness that it sort of challenges younger audiences but when it comes to the visual style and the ideas, I think all audiences can really enjoy Coraline. And uh, the the imagery always stuck with me. And Dakota Fanning is really good as the lead. Uh, it's got really interesting themes. And it's one that you can watch again and uh, and really get back like all the visual details. So that's it for me for now. Turn number three? Yeah. Okay. So... Um... My list was also it's it's a bit similar, but uh, I guess it is what it is. Uh, Flushed Away also almost made it. It's at like I know it's not supposed to, but like it's almost there. Uh, my number five would be Cuba and the Two Strings. Um, by help me out here. It was directed by Travis Knight. Travis Knight, thank you. Uh, yeah. What's the name of it again? What's the name of the movie? Kubo and, and the, the Two, two strings. strings. I've never seen it. It came it's out really 2016. Good. It's really good. Yeah, it's a recent one. It came out 2016. Um, and again, it's just... Uh, I think all these movies have, like, this earnestness to them. I don't know how... I uh, want to put it when you see, like, the amount of work that goes into, like, a stop-motion animation uh, movie. Like, it really needs to be, like, a passion project for everyone involved. And like, uh, the this is one. This one is more of like an adventure, and I love the the characters in it. Uh, like I said, Travis Knight did a fantastic job uh, directing that movie. That's the movie that put him like on the map. He did it for uh, for Laika, and who did Coraline also and Paranorman, yeah, and the Box Trolls, and. Um, and that's the movie that put him on the map. And like now he's he's doing like uh, really big stuff. He did a Transformers movie with Bumblebee, and uh, now now I forgot what he's doing now. Gal probably knows. I uh, don't remember. <laughs> okay, I'm he's sure doing I've something up, but big. I don't remember. And uh, and yeah, so uh, recommendation uh, for you then, Mike. It's a it's a great movie. Uh, number four. Uh, it's something that I thought would be mentioned by now, but maybe it's good that it hasn't, because maybe it's uh, going to pop up soon. It is uh, The Corpse Bride, 
uh, directed by Tim Burton and Mike Johnson. Uh, again, one of those movies that I watched as a kid that uh, half traumatized me, half made me fall in love with movies. Um, uh, it's 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 a really 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 fun uh, kind of like weirdly romantic like Halloween uh, movie for kids. Uh, and I just watched uh, it for the first time because of your recommendation. Because somehow I missed it when I was growing up. Yeah, like it's one one of the ones that I like a, a team that always comes up when we're talking about like kids movies is that I I always watch this with uh, with my sister, and this is one of is one of the ones that we used to put on a lot. Uh, like it's it's, I mean it's just really good. Uh, I haven't watched it in a while. I really want to watch it again now that yeah. I'm talking about it. Um, yeah, like a really unique story, especially for a kids movie, and and yeah, Tim Burton did a fantastic fantastic job here. Like uh, Johnny Depp and uh, Helen Helen Bonham Carter, also really good leads for uh, for this one. Have you seen a uh, Frankenweenie? I haven't. <laughs> oh, I I saw it back in theaters. Uh, it was Tim Burton's yeah. last animated movie. It was good. Nice. I'll put it on my list. Yeah. I mean, Tim's always done really great stuff with stop animation. I mean, you go back and look at uh, Beetlejuice, right? And the worms in Beetlejuice and all the different effects that he... Favorites of his. Yeah. So uh, he's... I, I always liked Tim Burton's stuff. He, he always felt like that nerdy sort of art student from New York out of the 90s that... <laughs> That's a good enough. That's accurate. It's <laughs> very accurate. Yeah. Okay, and um, so. yeah, my um, oh god, I lost my list. Three, <laughs> number three. Yeah. Okay, so my weird. number three is the same as uh, Gauss is uh, Coraline. Uh, yeah. going back to the to the thing I just mentioned with my sister, her name is actually Caroline, and uh, I remember when you're when you're kids, we were like super excited when it was coming out because we were like, oh, it's a movie about her, and like. Is, uh, and she was like, after we watched it, she was like, no, it's not about me. Is there uh, a movie called Alan? There's, I, I, there's probably a movie called Alan. Uh, but um, again, it's one of those that like just really stuck in my memory because of that experience watching the movie theater with my sister and us being like um, amazed and like just what could happen in movies. Uh, right? We were really like, we're really young and like um, it was just. Uh, a really, really cool experience. The and, button uh, eyes creep me out so yeah, much. I was seven yeah. when this movie came out. And just that image of people having you buttons were seven, for eyes. So then I must have been... It was 2009. Oh, God. I was God. born in 2002. I think I was older than I thought I was <laughs> <laughs> in that memory. <laughs> and maybe shouldn't have scared me that much. Well, you're 13, I guess? Uh, uh, I was I was 13. Jesus. Wow. I guess I, I guess I was uh, I was not great uh, still with uh, scary movies when I was thirteen. <laughs> scary movies, uh, but um, uh, yeah, like it's it's also one of those ones that like really stuck with me. Um, and yeah, directed by Henry Selick as well, which is a guy that's coming up a lot in this episode. And in my um, in my opinion, one of his best. Honestly, uh, maybe I have another one here. Let's see. All right, Mike, let's hear the top two. Top two. All right. Well, to continue with my tradition of breaking sort of the rules of this, this list, let's say that my number two isn't necessarily, well, it's not a movie. Number two is a animation piece that really influenced me when I was younger, really opened my eyes to how 
disturbing uh stop animation no way was it the thing that we watched today what was it called it's a music video for the band tool and they did a music video called sober and this was directed by uh fred stir and it was on constant rotation on mtv when i was a kid because i would watch mtv stuff all the time and it's uh an animated piece with these creepy little gross doll puppets that have nails in them and like so when you mention like Coraline and the butt and I, those guys have obviously seen uh this piece clearly influenced have you guys seen it have you guys seen this video i don't know no. what you're talking about maybe maybe if i if i saw it like uh like i would be like oh definitely watch it because i was glued to mtv when i was down. a kid as well so maybe... by who by tool the band okay i'll write it down and we'll watch it right after this yeah oh yeah okay. you guys are gonna get ready for that so um yeah great track great band tool went on to do a few other animated ones as well so uh, if you are big fans of it, watch their music video catalog. Their their stop motion stuff is just phenomenal. Um, and then, do you want me to do my number one, or are we doing yeah, number two? Uh, okay. So sticking with that, when I saw the tool video, I was just obsessed with that stop animation. Um, so I did a bit more digging when I was younger, and I found the origins of it all. And there is a uh, a film called Street of Crocodiles. And it's directed by the Brothers Quay. Oh. And the so Brothers no one Quay. made a documentary about them. This, the Brothers Quay have done quite a few incredibly creepy, strange um, animations. They were twin brothers. Um, and there's, there, I, I found when I was younger, it was on DVD, I found the Brothers Quay wonder if I have it behind me. I found the Brothers Quay DVD collection, which had like three or four of their animated pieces. And they are scary, strange, creepy pieces. And if you, this sort of fits into the motif of everything that we've been talking about on the show about practical effects. Yes. And everything happening practically. This side, like, they would animate screws on screwing from the floor. They did all sorts of really weird, weird, weird stuff. So uh, those of you listening, I know that this is so far. I think you can find it on Criterion. I think they're on Criterion. So okay. if you have the Criterion channel or something, definitely watch the Brothers Quay work. And Isle of the uh, Street of Crocodiles is my favorite. Right. Yeah, I hear there, there's stuff like borderline scary and whatnot. Yeah, too. <laughs> wow they directed a lot of stuff my girlfriend can't watch them she's like these are so creepy and gross and scary and i i want nothing to do with them so of course i like them more so this might these might be the ones that gal watches it and he's like oh that's fantastic and i watch it like this uh the Wallace and gromit shorts i've gotten into okay uh number two for me i'm continuing a trend that i started off my list with number two is isle of dogs uh, another yeah. fantastic wes anderson movie uh, might honestly be one of his best. And I missed this one when it came out in theaters, but I still managed to watch it. And I just thought it was terrific. It was like maybe his most, he tries to like out style himself each time. So at that time, it was like his most Wes Anderson-y movie. 
And now he's maybe even outdone that with the French Dispatch. The cast yeah. is Brian Cranston, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, Greta Gerwig, Edward Norton. Um, and yeah, just the visual storytelling was fantastic. And it kind of flips the script on instead of like um, like a human who's distrusting of the other, the main guy is like a dog who's distrusting of humans and cynical at them, which uh, I thought Brian Cranston did a wonderful job in that voice role. And I haven't seen it in a long time. I saw it like around the time it came out on digital four years ago, but it's definitely one that when Wes Anderson comes up, you have to talk about Isle of Dogs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's a great one. It was going to be on my list. I think that one's fantastic. And then number one for me was already mentioned also. Kubo and the Two Strings is my wow, favorite. Wow, it's your number one. Yeah. Wow. I think, it, I think it's held up the best because I was debating between those one and two. But Kubo, I think, is just wonderful. Laika, like we said, they started off with Coraline, then they went to Paranorman, and then they did Kubo and the Two Strings. And this one just feels like a massive adventure as much as it is this creative visual story. I mean, we've only seen a couple animated movies get nominated for visual effects. I think it might just be this and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas at the Oscars, which is an amazing uh, feat. And so it's like this classic adventure. Um, I don't remember if he's considered a samurai Kubo or whatnot, but the voice cast is terrific. I mean, Charlize Theron and Matthew McConaughey are leading the cast and Rooney Mara has this great supporting part. And I thought it was incredibly heartfelt. Uh, and like, I appreciated that it wasn't as creepy as like his last two movies. And it was a little more heartfelt, but with the villain characters, it still managed to get dark. So yeah. it's definitely one that I want to rewatch soon. So that and Isle of Dogs are close with me, but that's not undermining the rest of my list because they're all great. Yeah. This is why I didn't say that much about that movie. I knew you would, you were going to go crazy about it. I didn't know it was going to make your number one, but I knew you were going to go a bit crazy with it. So I, I just said a little bit. Uh, but yeah, like I, I second everything you just said. I will give this movie like the biggest blessing. I watched it with a girl that ruined my life for like about six months. <laughs> so the fact that it's still on my list proves how good a movie that is. Yeah, well, I guess I watched it. Uh, it's another movie just like Isle of Dogs that I watched on a plane and I still like enjoyed it so much awesome so uh, I guess I'll go with mine um, I think they were both mentioned already but whatever we will we'll, we'll move on uh, so my second one is uh, Wallace and Gromit The Curse of the Were-Rabbit this again all, all of these are I'm harkening back to when I was a when I was a kid because uh that was when I was most in love with uh, with these movies, um, and yeah, I, I still I really want to rewatch all of them. Like I know I've rewatched them recently, but like probably not for a couple of years. So I I definitely wanna wanna give them a rewatch. But um, I second everything you guys said about uh, Wallace and Gromit. They're like so sincere, so heartfelt, and um, yeah, just great. <laughs> Great movies, great movies to show your kids, uh, or if you are a kid, to watch it. Uh, it will give you like a like a nice little little view on life. It's a that, great like uh, clumsy slapstick charm. Yeah. I want to add one thing. Very charming. I want to add yeah, one thing. Go for it. The Shaun the Sheep cartoon show, not cartoon show, the stop motion show, originated as a Wallace and Gromit spinoff. 
And the Shaun the Sheep movie is actually really good. It has zero dialogue, and it's actually really good. I haven't seen the sequel yet, which I think is called Farmageddon. But I want to watch it because they were both nominated for Oscars, and I really like the first one. Well, they started out doing shorts, too. So initially, they were doing a bunch of shorts that were really great. Yeah, yeah. All their stuff is great. uh, You find that with, with stop motion animation, it's really the animator that comes through. And it's when voice acting is is obviously important but it's really the animator and this this one person that is like frame for frame slightly moving wrists and fingers and and fur and and they really build the performance i I don't have the patience for it like yeah i go crazy i go insane I think I tried when I was a kid, like, I know, you know, when you're a kid and you try to like do all these different types of movies and stuff. I remember I tried once to do like a stop motion thing really, and I could only get through like maybe a minute of footage (laughs) and I was going insane. And I was a kid when you usually have more patience than most adults. So I can't even imagine trying to do something like that again. Like, um, yeah, it just seems, uh, takes too much patience for Mm -hmm. me. So my uh my number one movie is from the same guys from a new from a oh actually just Nick Park did this one as well uh not Steve Box it was a uh, Armin right no it was Nick Park and Peter Lord is uh, Chicken Run which was also mentioned here already uh, it's definitely my favorite stop motion animation film uh this movie has been memed a lot in Brazil as um <laughs> the second coming of the Marxist uh, uh, <laughs> propaganda, which is like I don't know why that's like such a big meme in Brazil, but like uh, I love this movie so much. It's so so fun. Like uh, like again, we're talking about like um, like the actors. Uh, the voice cast in here is really good. Mel Gibson is really uh, is really good in it. Um, uh, who else is in it? Like let's see here. Uh, uh, Timothy Spall was in it. He. Was he? Yeah, he was the rat. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, (laughs) Do you know how I know this? Because I watched it for the first time for this episode, thinking it would make my list. It didn't. I liked it. I didn't love it. But another one I can't believe I missed as a kid, along with Corpse Bride. Yeah, this one came out in 2000. So, like, like I probably saw it maybe 2002 or 2003, somewhere along, uh, along those lines. And um, again, it's one of the, the the ones that grabbed me. It's like such a young age. I think this and The Lion King were the two movies I watched the most when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I would just put it on like on repeat when I was like eight or nine, and um, I would just watch it over and over again. And uh, yeah, that's why it has such a special special place in my heart. You guys are so much younger than I am, and so much nicer. I mean, well, like if you go to ask me the movies that I was watching when I was a kid, it was like The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh. It was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. But I think Those are it's movies because I only got to like in the last year. This is like I think we just proved it with this episode when I was thirteen and scared of Coraline. That that's why <laughs> it took. Softer. That's why it took me so long to get into horror, because <laughs> I was so scared. I I think I saw knowing which is barely even like a horror movie and i couldn't sleep for a month so so there you go so that's why it took me it took me longer to get into that that type of movie but now it's like one of my favorite genres actually one more thing is 
I'm sure there's going to be backlash about the fact that none of us put Nightmare on... Uh, it was my number nightmare six. Of, for, the Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know why I couldn't say the name. None of us put Nightmare Before Christmas. It would for sure be an honorable mention. I just haven't seen it in too long. And I'd for sure watch it again. When you guys asked me to do this list thing, I did like a quick search because I just wanted to refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. And so I did like a top five, top 25 animated uh, stop motion animated list. And all the lists are the fucking same. They're all the same. Yeah. It's people going Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare. As if you there hasn't been any of these other amazing movies. And that's one of the reasons why I tried to go off the rails and give you guys some really interesting that's why we loved it because like yeah, other houses fun. just could would have been like the same yeah. the same thing we would have gone back with nothing to watch yeah exactly yeah. like so i i think what happens is is that you know when we're younger everything that we see between the ages of like you know 10 and 15 or whatever those really affect us and each generation yeah. has that effect on it and those are the movies like if you were to ask me when you look at my work, you'll see like Steven Spielberg movies like Close Encounters and all these different films that I saw when I was a kid make my movies what they are today. But there hit a point when I was like younger and I went, oh man, but these directors that I love, they keep talking about these other filmmakers. They talk about like Howard Hawks and they talk about all these guys. I'm going to spend some time and go back and watch these older movies. Then I start to understand the influence that they had on the movies that I loved. And then I start to love the older movies just as much as that. And so I think for those of you listening, an important thing to remember is, yes, you could do a Google search real quick and go, what are the top five horror movies? And you'll find 25, 35 lists of the same movies on those lists because people feel like they have to mention them in order to be validated, which is bullshit. You yeah. really can go back further and dig through the older things in the older language of cinema. And even if you find something, the movie could be half trash, right? <laughs> and you watch the whole thing. But even if there's just a scene or if there's just a moment in it that affects you, then the movie was worth watching. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so That's I so tried cool. to do that with our list on today, my list on today's show. Go watch these movies that I guarantee you 90% of everybody that's listening to this podcast doesn't know anything about. Yeah. I mean, Jurassic Park we've seen. But... Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no one knows about Brothers Quay. You go back and watch that stuff and then watch Chicken Run and then watch all these yeah. other pieces and go, ah. That's and go there's something fascinating about the undistilled piece, you know? Yeah. I want to refer actually to I, f- I think it was John Favreau who said this. I'm, I I might be wrong. I might be making this up. But like, uh, um, why the Mandalorian hits very similarly to how Star Wars hit back in uh in the seventies, and it's because yeah. instead of him doing what most Star Wars directors did after that, which is trying to em- emulate George Lucas and emulate the original Star Wars, he went back to what inspired George Lucas, like the old samurai movies and the old westerns, like Akira Kurosawa and all that. And um, sure. and he based it all off that. So that's how why that feels so much fresher and so much more like, I guess, like the Star Wars that we love more than actual like Star Wars stuff that came after. So I think that's, that's, comp- that's something that, a lot of times gets left behind in the film community, but you're completely sure. right. 
we should always go back and see where all of this came from to really understand the stuff we love and we're probably going to find some more stuff that we love like one of my favorite movies of all time is uh is uh Casablanca and I've watched Casablanca probably like last year because again I had this like this like weird preconceived notions about older movies and after that it just allowed me to go back and watch a bunch of other older movies so that's why I hold that movie so close to my heart because it's the one that like broke this uh this this thing in my head that was blocking me to watch like these older movies so so yeah always go back always watch everything that that inspired the, the people that you love yeah. and it's I'm just going to give you more. A, more appreciation for them as well well you mentioned the mandalorian hold on you mentioned the mandalorian it's going to bring out a mandalorian helmet so Mandalorian is essentially this. Yeah, the lone wolf and the cub. 100%. That is that is Mandalorian, 100%. And instead of uh, there being a samurai, just put a helmet on him and change the kid on the back to uh, Baby Yoda. He's green. That's it, dude. These movies are these. This series of movies are fantastic. Go watch them. They, these, this once they really are. They really are. Lone Everyone, go the watch the Lone Wolf and the Cub. Wow! Thank you, Mike. You've given That's us. That's a great a lot place to, to, to leave it. That's a fantastic yeah. place for us to leave it. <laughs> Nothing to do with stop motion, but like a hundred percent a fantastic place to leave it. No, I love how this conversation went. Um, so, Mike, thank you so much for your time, for your uh, for your advice, for your recommendations. We really enjoyed it, and. We hope our viewers, uh, you guys enjoyed and got as much out of it as we did. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, just remind us, where can we find you on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify? Mm-hmm. So, uh, best place to get in touch with me, if you want to see my movie, write to me on Instagram. Send me a message on Instagram. And I try, to, we get a bunch of messages, so I try to get to them all. But uh, at my Petchy on Instagram is the place for that. If you want to listen to the podcast, it's called The Love of the Process. Um, and you can find that on Spotify, all the main uh, podcast networks, or just go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. And there you'll be able to sort through the episodes and listen to the ones that you really want to hear. Fantastic, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I hope you, you come again soon. Like, uh, yeah. we, we, had a lo- we honestly had a great time with you. Uh, thank real. you so much. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. Have a good good one. one. Now we're here reviewing Netflix's newest stop-motion animated movie, Wendell and Wild. And it's directed by Henry Selleck, who also directed um, some of the stop-motion movies that we've mentioned in the episode, like The Night Before Christmas and Coraline. And it reunites the great gods... Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele in the lead roles. Yes, and also the screenplay was written by Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele. Really? Based on the book by Clay McCloy Chapman. I actually forgot that. And uh, it's produced by Jordan Peele as well and his production company. Monkey Paw. Monkey Paw, that's the one. Yeah. And um, the stars are uh, Lily Cross. She voices the main uh, the main girl in the, in, the, in the movie. And of course, Keegan-Michael Key. Jordan Peele, uh, Angela Bassett, uh, voices Sister Haley. Who is a legend, a living legend. Exactly. Uh, James Hong, 
And uh, I think those are like the biggest names uh, that we have here. Yeah. And um, what did you think about this movie, Gal? I'm gonna be honest. I really wanted to like this movie, but it didn't really sit well for me. First of all, the animation style, I thought was just a little too basic. Like it would have worked really well for a short film. And then uh, here it just felt, it felt like the characters in the backgrounds just didn't really blend in. Um, like there wasn't enough lighting on them and whatnot. And then second, uh, some of the designs of like the settings really weirded me out. Like Ving Grames is this massive monster who like there's a city on his belly and he's like underground. I don't know. Like not all the quirks of the movie really worked for me, even though I understood what it was going for. I think the visual style just really put me off and made me enjoy it less than I hoped. I would have to disagree with you, actually. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie quite a lot. Um, it's not like, you know, uh, an Oscar perfection movie or anything, but like, uh, I actually really adored the the animation style. It grabbed me like right from the beginning. And um, like, I loved uh, the main character, even though I forgot her name. <laughs> her name Kat. is Cat. Yeah. Um, I loved uh, her, the arc that she goes through in the movie, and uh, I thought Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele were really funny. Um, no, of course, they never miss. And uh, But yeah, when we're talking about like the animation and the style, I thought it was really cool and like really colorful, and at the same time, really kind of dark and like mysterious. I don't know, I really loved the, the style. Like, if we're talking about... Um... Lyric Ross's character, she looks good, but some of the other characters either seemed like, I don't know how to describe it because I know a lot of work goes into this, so I also don't want to try to like roast the animators here, but I just feel like um, maybe a lot of the settings just weren't lit as much, so it just like took me out of the movie because it made me think, oh, they're filming this in a studio and they just put a little bit of snow on here. I don't know, it just it felt a little bit incomplete to me i don't know why i didn't feel any of that like i i honestly like thought the animation was lovely and like uh yeah i thought the style was like kind of like sincere i don't know how to explain that Mm -hmm. um like there was something like really cool about it and i guess it's what i usually like about henry Selleck movies is like that they have this look and um discontinued that tradition for me and i think uh yeah uh I don't know if I would, like, put it on, like, every Halloween or something like that. But, like, maybe when I have kids, I would show them this movie. I don't know. Uh, Again, it's a really cool movie. I just, um, I don't know about the repeatability factor here. Um, But I feel like with Nightmare Before Christmas, for example, like, the, the camera work is a lot more dynamic and just the visual style was a lot more immersive. I'm a fan of these stop motion movies and I especially appreciate how much effort it takes to put into this. But again, I just felt like, I don't know, just something about the animation weirded me out and I wanted to suspend by disbelief. Maybe I was nitpicking at one point just because a couple of the opening shots, I was like weirded by it, but I don't know. And the story, I thought when it comes to the main character, I thought she was pretty sweet and her whole like arc was pretty fun. Uh, but there's some side characters that I really didn't enjoy, like these two uh, these two villains who are trying to like build some establishment, 
and they're like these villainous characters who uh i mean they're they're the classic like adults in an animated movie about kids and they got on my nerves for sure and like james hong i think was trying to do some deal with them i don't remember anymore yeah the the story was like a, a bit of like a classic uh story like uh as you would have like in, in a kids movie like this again like i feel like i feel you when you say you missed some layers there i think you're right about that one uh like the villains were pretty like uh like pretty plain i guess uh pretty like one one dimensional i guess would be the word do you think we're talking a lot about oscars uh in this show lately because we're getting into oscar season do you think this movie has a chance in animation, at least for a nomination? Nomination, yes. I don't see it winning, but they love to nominate films with a more unconventional animation style as opposed to just sticking with the with the mainstream uh, CGI movies, especially at the Academy Awards. Uh, sometimes the Golden Globes will go more for the uh, the more crowd-pleasing ones. But I think this could has, have a chance to get nominated. The only doubt I have is uh, Netflix has another stop-motion movie coming out in December called uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Maybe it'll mm. overshadow it somehow. There hasn't been a lot of animations this year, though, so I think maybe both of them could get in. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Like Maybe one will overshadow the other. Because but... like, Lightyear is not getting in, Like, yeah. I don't think. Um, Turning Red, for sure, is probably getting in. Strange yeah. World it hasn't Strange come out, World but I'm guessing. Might, might get in. I'm guessing, unless um, it sucks. Yeah. And the bad guys, I don't know. And there's probably at least one European animated movie that'll get in that I haven't yeah. heard of. Yeah. So maybe, who knows? Um, uh, maybe we can give the scores now. Uh, I was more of a fan of this movie than you were, apparently. I had fun. So I'm going to give it a 7.5, I guess. I really hate to do this because I went into this movie really ready to enjoy it and it just didn't click with me. I'm going to say 5 out of 10. Wow. 6, maybe. Uh, no, that's cool. I mean, I'll say 6 out of 10 because I thought it was okay, like passable. There's nothing about it that angered me. It just didn't grip onto me either. So 6 out of 10. How about uh, that? I'm guessing like most people fall in the in that same area as we do because like uh like right in the middle like because on IMDb is at 6.6 .6 and on Metascore is at 69. So people are between that 6 and 7 range which yeah. is So RT is 82 for critics. Um Metacritic is 69 like you said. Yeah. Uh I think most uh, animation fans, most stop motion fans will really enjoy it. Yeah. Even like kids who have just gotten into the Leica movies or the edgier animated movies that are still for families but have some scares in them. Like if you've seen Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. you know what you're getting in. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, Mike, uh, for, uh, for joining us as well. We had, mm -hmm. we had a lot of fun with you. And uh, Gao, where can people find us? And We're on Instagram at Film Fanatics Pod and also on Spotify. If you search up Film Fanatics, uh, we've been uploading episodes every week. And we're also on Apple Music and whatnot. So Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Apologies. Google Podcasts as well. Yes. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun stuff in store. Uh, we're going to be on a little bit of a break, but we'll be back before you know it. I, so. I don't think you'll notice it. I think we have enough content to, to keep you guys busy until we come back. So it's only going to be a week. So.
break, I think, uh, for the podcast. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see you guys soon. Have a good one. Bye.